0: This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Let's begin with some discussion about vaping. We haven't talked about vaping for a couple of weeks, and there is a very good reason to do so. And it is summed up in an excellent report for Global News that was done by Heather Urex West. Here is Heather Urex West.
1: I couldn't breathe properly. Amber Nolan says she used to think vaping was harmless. Not anymore. In late October, the 18-year-old spent 10 days in hospital after her left lung suddenly collapsed. They can't say 100% that it was vaping, but it was something that was brought up from uh, the time she was in eMERGE right through every single doctor that met with her. The teen admits to vaping heavily for the past two years. She thought it was safer than smoking, even after hundreds of serious lung illnesses related to vaping began to appear across the US. In early September, public health officials across Canada started to watch for cases in this country as well But so far, Canada's surveillance program has tracked just a handful of illnesses And Nolan's experience is not reflected in that count I'm aware of one, hospitalization I've also personally dealt with a few cases uh, over the last few months Um, And this is specific to vaping Respirologist Dr. Delini Vethanigam says she believes many vaping related illnesses are not being tracked because they don't meet Health Canada's narrow definition of cases. To be considered a suspected or confirmed case, a patient must have symptoms and a history of vaping in the last 90 days. They must also have a chest x-ray or CT scan showing inflammation in the lungs and all other possible medical causes, including infections, must be ruled out. Absolutely, the surveillance program is not designed to capture every potential health impact of vaping alberta's chief medical health officer agrees there are likely many other cases of vaping related illness in canada but she says the point of the surveillance program is to identify only the most severe cases that may be related to possible chemical contamination cases that have been so serious that in the u.s at least 48 people have died Fortunately, Nolan is expected to make a full recovery. She vows never to vape again. I just want people to know the risks and what can happen. Heather, Yurix west Global News, Calgary.
0: And that's why we need to talk about this right now. You know, it goes to a philosophy. No one living in my neighborhood owns a red car. Therefore, there are no red cars. Mm, not really, not really. And in cases of, I guess, very serious vaping-related illnesses, sure, you want to know about those, but don't you want to know about all of them? Because we talked about vaping for a good hour a few weeks ago, remember? I got on a high horse about smoking and vaping, and uh, I was pushed off my high horse, hit the ground, but we still had a good conversation about it. However... It kind of went away after that, right? We had the the one local case, and then it's, eh, well, you know, not really hearing much more about it in the news. So let's talk more about it now based on what we just heard in the news from Heather Urex-West, who joins us from Calgary. Heather, thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey, thanks for having me
0: the surveillance program i mean this this was a key thing that you were able to say that we have a surveillance program but uh it's it's maybe not the biggest net in the world is it
1: yeah and that's what's uh so important to realize that this is a very targeted surveillance program so they're only looking for the most serious cases of something that's become known now as e-Valley, which is e-cigarette vaping associated long illness that's what they've been calling it in the States. This is all of the cases that we've been hearing about across the States, 48 people dead, uh, more than 2,000 people hospitalized. So when this started happening in the U.S., uh, health officials in Canada were, of course, quite concerned, wanted to know if this was happening here. So they went about reaching out to the provinces, the territories, the, the public health officials across the country to, to tell them to start being on the lookout for this. So that's what they are looking for is this specific Valley? I listed all of the, the criteria in my piece that you guys just listened to. Um, so that's what they're looking for, the most serious, uh, cases. But that is not to say that this is the only illnesses and injuries that are being, um, caused by vaping and, and using e-cigarettes. And so when we were looking at the numbers, you know, we're looking, we're hearing about thousands of cases in the U.S. and then and no cases for weeks and weeks. No cases and then a few. We had the one case in London, as you mentioned, that was the first. We're up to 13 now. But, you know, that's a big disparity. Does that mean that we're using something completely different, way safer up in Canada? Like, it, it just didn't make a lot of sense to us. So um, I started speaking with uh, doctors in in my uh, contact list i've been covering health since for a very long time talking to a lot of respirologists, and they were saying you know no there there are other injuries and illnesses we're actually reporting them but when they become investigated when they get investigated they're not re- they're not um meeting that definition. So that's not to say that people are not being injured and, and becoming incredibly ill. They're just not reaching that criteria. And so that's kind of painting a, a bit of a skewed picture to the public, thinking that, okay, maybe this isn't as serious as an issue in Canada as it is in the States, but uh it, it definitely is. And as we heard and that teenager in in my story in Calgary, you know, she ended up in the hospital for 10 days. Her lung collapsed. So these are some pretty serious situations that uh, people are getting into um, after using these products.
0: We're talking with Heather Yorex-West, who is a global news reporter. And we're talking about the fact that vaping and vaping-related illnesses, e-Valley, as Heather has outlined, the serious ones need to be more front and center. These haven't kind of gone away. It may be the fact that, you know, you, you are swishing that net in the water and you have a little tiny net and you're not really catching everything because you're not really focused on the right sort of things thanks to the very targeted surveillance program that does exist. So, Heather, in this we will hear people saying, you know, if, if you're using, I guess, recognized vape products or vape products sold from a, a decent a decent place, a decent source, you're going to be okay. Do we know anything about what actually is causing these illnesses? Does it have to be bad stuff you order from some place online that has fertilizer and other stuff in it, or can it be anything?
1: Yeah, I hear this pushback a lot, especially from like the Canadian Vaping Association, people that own vape shops, um, that, you know, we're not reporting on it properly because it's only vitamin E acetate. It's only things that are coming from the black market. If you look on Health Canada's surveillance site right now, um, the, the 13 cases, they're actually breaking down all the cases and wh- what people were using, if they were using nicotine only, if they were using flavors, if they were using THC it is pretty evenly divided amongst those 13. So that tells you that they really don't know at this point what is making uh, people sick. It's not from any one source. Now, in the States just last week, they did come out and say, we've been hearing about vitamin E acetate, you know, that's the, the stuff that they use in, in creams, and that was being found in people's lungs. So now they've gone a step further last week and said, okay, we, we have to make sure that this vitamin E acetate isn't going in to products because that is, you know, associated with a large number of these illnesses, but not all of them. So they don't know at the end of the day, what is making everyone sick. That, that case in London that you mentioned, um, there was a report in the Canadian Medical Association Journal, nothing to do with vitamin E acetate. This teen had ingested um, a chemical that was used to flavor popcorn. And that's why, it was associated with popcorn worker's lung. So this was like a, a compound in the flavoring. We don't know what's in all of the flavoring. Um, a, a lot of these flavoring, you know, I, I went to one vape shop and, and he was talking about how he had a, a guy that mixed his, the flavoring. You know, he believed that his flavorings were, were very safe but... Um, uh, a lot of these chemicals—they're not tested for safety when inhaled. They're—they're they're tested for safety when ingested. So it's—it's it's very different when it's heated and inhaled. And in some cases, it can be very toxic and very dangerous. But at this point, these products are just so new that we do not know what the long-term, the short-term health impacts are. And—and uh, and in a lot of cases, we're—we're—we're we're, we're doing this research, you know, just on ourselves by by using these products, and, it, and it's pretty scary.
0: Yeah, in a lot of ways, there are a lot of young people playing guinea pig in that. And I don't necessarily. Think- think when they look back at their lives at this time that they're going to be too happy that they played guinea pig in that. Heather, finally, what kind of a reaction are you getting now that you've kind of brought these elements of a story out there for the country to see?
1: Well, it's it's interesting because I think the most important reaction is, is from the young people and their families, and I think it's eye-opening to a lot of people. Uh, this was presented as something that was a safe alternative to smoking. The, the teenager that I spoke with last week, she had started as, as a cigarette user and then switched to, to vaping because she thought it was harmless, she thought it was safe. She says everyone in her school does it. Um, but, but now, as, as these stories emerge and people Parents hear about them and other teenagers hear about them, you know, it's starting to kind of turn on the light switch for a lot of people, which I think is perhaps the, the most important thing that people think twice that we don't know what this is. We, we do know that it is not a safe alternative and that really uh, at the end of the day we, we need to be not using these these products we're not using cigarettes either we know cigarettes are proven to be linked to, to cancer and all sorts of bad things but you know we're seeing that in the very short term people are getting very sick after using vape products for for a matter of a few years even months so this is something that people need to be taking seriously
0: heather thank you for bringing it out into the open again as you have have a great day you too. Thank you. That is Heather Yorex-West, Global News reporter. So that's why we wanted to kick things off about vaping, because the story seems to go quiet again. Because we don't hear that much in Canada. Or And the other problem in this, and it's it's one of those things that goes on with a lot of different topics. When you hear the first one, it's, whoa, whoa, did you hear that? There is a case of someone becoming very ill from vaping. First one in the country. And everybody turns their head. And then maybe a couple of weeks go by and, hey, did you hear there's another case? Oh, I kind of missed that. Yeah. Was it the first case? No. It's, it's like the second. Oh, okay. And then there's another case maybe a few weeks later. They're, they're spread out. So now we do have 13 cases. But if you go and talk to any lung specialist anywhere, they will tell you a number one rule. For the health of your lungs is very simple. Do not inhale anything hot into your lungs. That's that's just it. Don't inhale. Don't inhale some kind of chemical into your lungs. You want to keep them healthy? That's the only way to do it. And especially in this, you don't know what is in this. Look at what Heather had said. The guy from the vape shop. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's all fine. How do you know it's fine? I got a guy. I got a guy. He mixes my flavors in the back. His name's Joey. He knows what he's doing. No, that's... What kind of an excuse is that? That's terrible. Okay, I'd love to ask this question, so let's do it. If, based on what you have heard in the news, if you have been vaping, has it caused you to stop? Has it caused you to say, yeah, I thought this was an alternative to smoking because that's how it was targeted. That's how it was marketed. And now that I'm finding out it's not, yeah, I'm not using it anymore. Tossed my jewel. Not doing it. The guys who made the jewel are billionaires by now. Is this something that makes you say, yeah, no, I, uh, I shut her down. The world is not fair. We know that. We'd love it to be. But then people get involved. Everybody has good intentions, but then, then that feel of power creeps in. Go back to Machiavelli. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. I love the line. It's held up for hundreds of years because it's a good line. And it's something that spells out, really, the problem in Russia right now, where you have power corrupting where you have athletes either being corrupted or choosing to dope on their own. There's both. It's not only an athlete that says, you know, I'm just not as fast as everyone else, so I'm going to use performance-enhancing drugs, and I'm going to get faster. That's not what it is. Sometimes it's here, take this. I don't want to. Take it. Don't want to. Take it. Take it or else. That kind of stuff does happen. But... We're looking at a case where we're going to see examples play out of corrupt power. We really are. We're looking at a case that involves the IOC, which is not the squeakiest of clean organizations. We are looking at Russia, and one of the biggest things to look at when you deal with Russia here is they have been punished, what's the word, again. Again. This has happened before. This will continue to happen. This is not something new going all the way back in time to back before they were Russia to back before they were, you know, an independent country. They were the Soviet Union. They had stuff going on then, too. But this is going to play out, in my mind, in a political arena. And because of that, you can't help but have things pulled in different directions. And it's not going to have any kind of, of lasting power. So let's examine what this is and what it could have and maybe how we do get change from this. Because the Olympic Games have been held in very high esteem for a very long time. They are supposed to be the ultimate in competition, even though many of the athletes will tell you, yeah, actually, I prefer the world championships. But the Olympic Games are supposed to have that esteem about them they are supposed to be the best of the best. They are a celebration of sport. And that's never a bad thing to have. So we bring the world together. We have it in one place. And we honor. We celebrate. We recognize. It's, it's a phenomenal thing. I credit the 2010 Olympic Games in Vancouver with taking Canada forward as a country. And I don't mean that lightly. Canada became more patriotic, became willing to toot our own horns because of the Vancouver Olympics. That was a step forward in our country's history. So what is this? What is this horrible finding that actually has been a long time in the making and involves Richard McLaren? who works right out of London and involves Dick Pound and involves so many people who have acted to do their research and to say, this is happening. And now WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, has come out and has said that they are going to punish the guilty parties. This is a quote. Punish the guilty parties and send a message that this will not be tolerated. So there. What you're doing, we will not have that. And we will not be using your anthem, and we will not be using your flag. Is that all they've done? I'm curious to know. Please welcome our next guest, who isn't just the director of the, I guess, the Center for Olympic Studies here in London at Western University. She's also an Olympic medalist from 1984 in rowing. Please welcome Dr. Angela Schneider to London Live. Dr. Schneider, how is your day going?
2: It's been a busy day.
0: No doubt. Uh, This kind of takes us to a, a number of different places. We'll talk in a little while about your experience in Los Angeles where there were some countries that weren't taking part. If you go all the way back to 1980, same sort of thing in the Olympics. But when we look at what's happening with Russia right now, do you see this as being something that can make a difference in the practices that they have been found to be carrying out?
2: Well, it depends if the follow-through happens or not. Uh, there's no doubt that Russia will appeal this ban, and it will likely go to the International Court of Arbitration for Sport. And it's going to be a very telling time to see if the International Court of Arbitration for Sport can maintain independence that many organizations have not in the past been able to do.
0: And is that just because of politics involved, or what is it that kind of compromises them sometimes?
2: Well, it certainly is related to corruption, uh, and it certainly is related to the power uh, that Russia has wielded uh, in regards to the processes that has happened. Many athlete organizations uh, have come out and said that this ban is not enough, that it should be a blanket ban for all Olympic and Paralympic games uh, and events and that, in fact, if if the IOC does not take a stronger stand and show some leadership on this, that the, it could be a tipping point. It, it, it's, it sort of fits in with the global perspective right now on the, the corruption level in, in politics. It's it's really, uh, really reflects a very bad time.
0: If you look at this, Dr. Schneider, how big a scandal is this in dealing with what you've dealt with in the past and, and kind of looking at this one? How big is it?
2: Well, we've had doping scandals. Obviously, it's a big doping scandal, a major, major doping scandal, because it's not about one rogue athlete like Lance Armstrong or, for us Canadians, Ben Johnson. We're talking about a government. Uh, we're talking about systemic corruption and uh, systemic doping, where Russian athletes and whistleblowers have indicated that the athletes themselves were forced and threatened and their families threatened. So this isn't like a lot of the other historical doping cases where we're talking about individual rogue athletes. We're talking about what is before, now the version of what was the KGB. So um, that that's one major thing. And the second thing is the level of corruption with administration of sports agencies trying to deal with this. I mean, it's the, the lack of action has been stunning. And, uh, People are really calling out now for, for leadership, uh, as in particular the, the athlete organizations that are, are fed up with this, and they want someone to finally send a message, take a stand, and stick to it. So this is the fact that WADA has taken the position to ban them, yes, that's supported, but a complete blanket ban. It is a start, but that's what they did last time. Russia competed in the last Olympics uh, under a neutral flag. So that's already happened. So they are looking for more. They're looking for more leadership and they're looking for the administrators to make it so there is no way out this time.
0: We're talking with Dr. Angela Schneider, the director of the International Center for Olympic Studies at Western University, and we're talking about what this means to have Russia banned, at least their anthem banned, their flag banned from the Olympics and from other major events in sport for the next four years. If we're to get a timeline on this, Dr. Schneider, i you, Kind of go back and you think, well, was it Sochi and the desire to win and the desire for that to be successful that kicked this off? Or has this just been kind of an ongoing thing from what we know?
2: Oh, well, it's been ongoing historically since the former Soviet Union existed, obviously. And in my time of competition, we have had all kinds of evidence come forward now to show uh, the levels of doping that were done at that time at a higher state level. Uh, So, it's a repeat in that sense, except that now it is Russia and not the Soviet Union, but still, uh, some of the cultures and powers that be, there is a relationship there, uh, and there is a pattern. Uh, However, you know, Russia has been given multiple chances to correct its path, to be transparent, and it has failed to show any sign of good faith over and over again and many anti-doping agencies and athletes groups just don't feel that this sanction goes far enough and would prefer a blanket ban, even though it's the case that Russia will likely appeal this.
0: As an athlete, when you were competing, knowing that there were others out there who could be doping or or maybe even having better knowledge than that, what was that like? Was that something you thought much about, or was it something that you just kind of had to put up with? You know you were okay, your teammates were okay, and you went from there.
2: Well, uh, there was no World Anti-Doping Agency at that time. There was no one to go to. Uh, We certainly (laughs) believed, uh, the majority of uh, the people that I competed with, certainly believed that the East German, uh, the Soviet Union, and a lot of the Soviet bloc, uh, Eastern bloc countries were participating in doping because at that time there were actually secondary male characteristics they weren 't as sophisticated in hiding it for the women that we competed against but you can 't you could not run around pointing fingers without evidence. Uh, it just looks like sour grapes, but now we look back at that historically many years later, and the Stasi files released that in fact there was all kinds of evidence uh, that this happened uh, and and many times blaming the, the athlete is not the solution because in fact in those situations it was about a government it was about a whole system it was it is it was not really it was rarely the case that was just one person one athlete like lance or ben
0: and in this situation, there is talk that, well, the, the flag is banned and the anthem is banned and uh, we have a, a big finger being wagged. No, no, don't do that. That is bad. But at the same time, you're still probably going to have athletes competing. And and in some ways, like you say, it's not, not necessarily their fault. They're being forced to do this. so. Is there a way that you see that would actually make a difference? Is there a punishment that could be handed out that you would say, yeah, that's that's the one that is going to ring into the ears of the people who are doing this?
2: Well, no matter how you slice it, someone's going to get hurt in this situation if action's going to get taken, because it is the case that uh, the WADA has shown that the Russians had destroyed evidence, so we don't know of the 145 athletes that were being investigated if they are clean or not that are continuing to compete without the anthem, without the flag, so they're not cleared, uh, So, because they can't be cleared because the evidence was tampered with and, and deleted, so it's a problem to continue, so that's why, you know, the... The international athlete organizations are calling for a complete ban on Russian participation at all in the Olympics and the Paralympic Games uh, without anything like the nation- this doesn 't work to just say Olympic athletes from Russia with the flag- without the flag and without the anthem then in fact they 're calling for a complete ban on participation. <laughs> There will be some un- innocent people that are hurt in that. It's absolutely the case that you, it, it is, you're going to find that there are people, not everyone in the entire country is doping. But how do you not send a strong message if you keep that to, if you allow that to continue? So to have leadership and send a strong message, many people are calling for an absolute ban that they do not get allowed to compete under, as the uh, Russian uh, athletes the Olympic athletes from Russia without an anthem and without a flag, what they're saying is that they're not in there at all.
0: We're talking with Dr. Angela Schneider, director of the International Center for Olympic Studies and an Olympic medalist in rowing as well. One last thing. What does this say about WADA and and what it is either able to do or what it is doing?
2: Well, WADA has really had a struggle. WADA has yet to completely and utterly support the McLaren and Pound reports that they, they found of the, the Russian doping and corruption. WADA has sort of been the middle player that has been come under influence on both sides. And so WADA has, has really, uh, in many people's perspectives, particularly the anti-doping organizations, for example, USADA came out with a devastating critique of WADA this morning. And saying that to allow Russia to escape a complete ban is a devastating blow to clean athletes, so Water's is in a really tough spot uh, and and so they are they 're trying to come forward in a way that is balanced, but on an issue like this it 's very difficult to come forward in a balanced way so so they're allowing the same thing that they allowed in the last Olympics, which uh, many people and many anti-doping organizations and athletes groups do not think is right.
1: Well,
0: we'll see what comes out of this. I mean, would it take uh, one of the major media sponsors saying we're not going to spend billions of dollars to cover the Olympics anymore? Do we have to get to a dollar value? Maybe that maybe that elicits change. I don't know. I mean, everybody seems to be lost.
2: Well, that's quite interesting because that almost came to fruition when we had the Salt Lake City bid scandal that the major top sponsors, 25 of them, John Hancock was the first one, all said that, look, if you don't clean up your act, we're pulling out. So it's, it's, a, it's a biggie. And and the, obviously the sponsors uh, play a significant role. But the sponsors are tied more to the IOC than to water, right? So, that's, so the IOC has a chance to respond here, too. Uh, Right now, you know they are—they're they're the ones that are going to have to implement for the next uh, whatever whatever ban happens. So the IOC doesn't have to just say, "Oh, we'll stick with what this recommendation of WADA is," that they still allow them to compete, uh, but without their flag or a neutral flag and without their anthem.
0: Well, we'll the see. The IOC could
2: actually go further. It is the major gatekeeper. It is. The stewards, the guardians of the sport values that they put forward uh, for the Olympic Games. So the world is looking for strong leadership. They could send an even stronger message if they wanted
0: to. Dr. Schneider, thank you so much for your time and your insight today. Thank you. Dr. Angela Schneider, director for the Center for Olympic Studies at Western University. And let's look at what Dr. Schneider just mentioned. The IOC could, could go further. Will they? No. I don't have any qualms saying that no they're not going to go further they're not going to do anything not to hurt their prized possession because ultimately they know that well you know we've we have given our 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 blessing to the punishment so here they're they're not letting them use their flag or their anthem so we've we've said that that's that's good But we're still allowing those athletes to compete. We still want our competition because then we get our money. That's what it comes down to. Unfortunately, this thing that was the be-all and the end-all to celebrate amateur sport isn't that anymore. Because of the money that is tied up in it. That's why we had the scandal for Salt Lake City. It was about money. And this is still about money. They're not going to risk not having the Olympics or not having top-flight competition? They're not going to risk that. There's too much at stake in dollars. So the IOC will say, well, we had some punishment, and it was handed out by WADA. Boy, that, that was tremendous that that's what they did. They, they punished that country that was doing bad things. On to the next one. Who wants to bid? Now, that's the one thing that we have seen, and I find this part of this Olympic discussion fascinating. It's becoming harder and harder to find host countries. It's not like we have people lined up at the door because we have seen some ugly incidents. Sochi, Russia was ugly. That was an ugly, ugly thing. When you remember back to the pictures of athletes going into hotels that weren't finished, one athlete opened their door and there was a dog inside. Not a happy dog either. Another athlete opened the door and there were two workers asleep in the beds that that athlete was supposed to have. Another athlete had to break out through the door because they got locked in their bathroom. And you look at the money that it cost, the poverty that exists in Russia, that didn't go over very well. You look at the World Cup stadiums in Rio, I mean, that's not good. The Olympic facilities in Rio, not good. None of this has looked good. And you look at what it takes in order to host the games. You know, if any country steps up and tries to bid, I would be jumping up and grabbing onto them saying, no, 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 don't. Because that's where the fix will come. That's where repairs to this will come. As soon as your product has become so overinflated and the demands to host are so unrealistic that you say, no, we're we're not going to do that. Any country that wants to bid for the Olympics, I say, please stop just for a little bit. You know, it's not like they come up every year. We'll glorify the world championships of everything just for one year. Maybe we'll put a bunch of little world championships together. We'll have track and field and swimming at the same time. Let's do that. And let's forget about the Olympics just for a little while. Just until the people who have been corrupted by power have to come dragging themselves back in and say, yeah, we're sorry, we're going to do this right now. We're going to do this for the spirit of sport and not for the spirit of capitalism. And until that happens, nothing's going to change. Nothing stop bidding for the olympics that's the best message the world can receive stop and then things will get better let's think now about what could go wrong at christmas parties howard levitt is with levitt llp where he is an employment and labor lawyer and joins us on london live howard how are things today they're great. How are you doing? I am not too bad at all. I don't have a personal support beehive, and I'm sure that you wouldn't really want to deal with the paperwork that might come with someone bringing a personal support beehive into work. So we're not going to talk about that, but we are going to talk about Christmas parties because there are a few things that we probably need to know right around now, aren't there?
3: Uh, there are many things they need to know around Christmas parties. and uh, You know, the... <laughs> The biggest thing is not drinking, because that's what the root is of all the lawsuits around Christmas parties. It makes you act inappropriately, not just in terms of sexual harassment, but there's that too, but in terms of just acting inappropriately, that might lead to harassment claims, that might lead to not having a great career going ahead because you're perceived differently. It certainly leads to drinking and driving, and that's the biggest, most fearful thing that employers have to worry about because that could bankrupt a company
0: okay well there's a lot of things to kind of dig into there we've all heard people saying oh i'm never going to drink again never going to do that again because of some way that they acted when you're doing it in front of bosses when you're doing it in front of co-workers it's pretty easy to see yeah that that could be an issue but you lead to kind of the the harassment side of things when does that kind of get involved
3: well it always gets involved because a A Christmas party is an extension of the workplace. So if you sexually harass a colleague, or they perceive you because they're drunk, of of maybe being a little more aggressive than you actually were, you've got a harassment complaint. And it's really problematic from any perspective. And these days, sexual harassment is seen much broader than it was a few years ago. Any look, glance, glare, stare that's seen to be... Implicit with motive or inappropriate is the base of a sexual harassment complaint. It's not like it was a few years ago, where it actually had to be almost a physical assault of or a touch to be sexual harassment. It, it obviously any explicit proposition has always been sexual harassment, but it's much more subtle than that in terms of people's perception. Perhaps the law legally, technically, always might have been, but it wasn't perceived that way. More people are perceiving a much more open, broad. Landing stage to launch sexual harassment claims, and they did once upon a time.
0: We are talking with Howard Levitt from Levitt LLP about Christmas parties Howard is an employment and labor lawyer so just just those things you got to keep in mind we've talked a lot about this on the show recently that yeah, perceptions have changed the way that you interpret things have changed people might be doing things that they wouldn't really interpret as being oh I don't know, creepy? Like dressing up as Santa and hanging mistletoe in front of their, or maybe hanging mistletoe off Santa's hat, you know things like that, which which may have been done in the 70s, the 80s, maybe even in the 90s, Uh, what would you recommend for someone who has a santa suit with a piece of mistletoe tied to the hat
3: <laughs> i'd recommend they strip it off and put it in the incinerator that's what i recommend no more mistletoe those days are over you simply can't behave the way you once upon a time did and no and no sitting on santa's knees either <laughs> you know the things that were seen as humorous a few years back just aren't
0: Yeah, well said. Now, you also got into the drinking and driving or driving high, things like that. And for employers, this becomes a bit of an issue. How does that work? You mentioned a Christmas party is an extension of a workplace. Let's say you have it somewhere else outside the workplace. Is it still an extension of the
3: workplace? Yes, it doesn't matter where it's held. And employers are required to monitor drinking to ensure that employees do not are not permitted to be inebriated. They're legally able to actually physically take away their key rather than let them drive. That, that's what I advise them to do. They have drink tickets and a rule that it can be caused for discharge if you give any of your drink tickets to anybody else, because that's a way of regulating uh, quantity of consumption. It's has to be taken very seriously because assume an employee got behind a wheel after leaving a Christmas party and damaged themselves or injured someone else on the streets or driving their car, it could be millions of dollars of liability. It could bankrupt a company because it wouldn't be insured for it. So it's a very, very serious issue.
2: And
0: you lay that out, you wonder...
3: Human issues.
0: Yeah. But you wonder why people would even have a Christmas party to begin with, if that's something that they had to have hanging over their heads. You're talking about people giving out drink tickets or, or saying, hey, yeah, I don't, I'm not using mine here. You take mine, and somebody kind of collects up 12 of them in no time at all.
3: Sure. Now, what I did at my Christmas party, I made a speech at the beginning and said that if anyone drives a car from that party and doesn't use Uber or taxi Chit and I found this out, it would be cause for their discharge. Hmm. And even if they don't do it, um, the fact that I warned them of that potentially gives me protection, because I took all due precautions and made it that serious an issue. I do not want to have what I've worked 40 years taken away in a court application because some employee decided to drink and drive at my Christmas party.
0: Now, it would sound like, you know, you, you just mentioned it in kind of a verbal setting. Would, would a verbal setting be enough, or are we getting to a point where, hey, let's face it, we cover backsides all over the place, well, everybody covers backsides, do you need a waiver?
3: Obviously, it would be better if it was in writing, but I had 25 witnesses, it would be hard for anyone to suggest it wasn't said.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so as long as there are witnesses, as long as you've made kind of a, uh, you know, a, a personal declaration what if you sent around uh, an in in workplace or a, a workplace staff memo would that work an email
3: that would work as well now i have a a burgundy organization i mean burgundy france that i'm a member of and we sign an agreement that we will take uber or taxi to and from events and if we don't we forfeit our membership and all the money we paid
0: Okay. Seem to be pretty serious, you know, attachments to the other end if somebody goes against that. So I guess that must that must be a big part of this. If, if you can set out something that says to somebody, yeah, I don't like the consequences of this, I'm going to behave.
3: Right. And especially when I say, I'll, I'll pay for your transportation. It's not going to cost you a penny. And on the other side, you'll be fired for cause if you do this. It's a pretty easy decision one would hope for everybody.
0: One last thing. What about inviting spouses? Does that factor into this at all?
3: Well, look, if your spouse is there, you're not likely to misbehave. It really deals with sexual harassment issues, and that's why you do it. On the other hand, it doubles the price of the party. So if you can afford to do it, or if you want that kind of a party, sure. But it's, But people behave differently with their spouses than they will at an office party generally. So that's the reason for that suggestion.
0: Howard, great suggestions overall. Thank you so much for for joining us and and talking about this. Okay. Take care. Have a good day. Bye-bye. That's Howard Levitt from Levitt LLP, who's done a lot of thinking and has hosted a lot of Christmas parties over the years and has looked at that whole thing. Perception, what was going through the hockey world with hockey coaches. Perception as it comes now based on actions that – May not be right now. Actions that may have been well—that that was okay ten years ago. Or give me that Santa suit. Where where's my Santa suit with the mistletoe on the hat? Yeah, you're not gonna. It's it's not the same anymore. You know what you looked at as before is saying, yeah, that's you know that that's just Larry. He does that every year. Yeah, it's 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 his gag. It's his thing. Nobody goes for that anymore. So. Yeah, it's not to take out the fun. Do we look back at the NFL when they started being the no-fun league? People will say, "Yeah, but this takes away the fun." Mm, I don't know if it takes away the fun. It takes away things that not everybody thought were fun to begin with. Yeah, well, he always does his limerick, and it. End- mm, I don't know if he always should do his limerick at all. People have tolerated that, but you uh, know, it wasn't all that funny. It was. It was not a funny thing. You know, it ripped on people and. Most of the people went away thinking, does he actually really like me? No, leave the limerick in the bag. Just, yeah, along with the Santa suit. And as as Howard said, you might want to toss that or, or light it on fire. Safely, of course. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.